0: You're home of the Dan Patrick Show, live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. The uh, Nuggets regained home court last night in the finals with a dominant Game 3 victory at Miami. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined in sports zone by Kyle Irving of the Sporting News. And Kyle, good to have you back on the show again. What most stood out to you during the Nuggets' 109-94 victory last night?
1: I think the thing that stood out to me the most is that we are seeing one of the most special and lethal duos in the NBA today and one of the most special and lethal duos that we've honestly ever seen on an NBA playoff stage. What Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are doing right now, I don't know if anybody could have seen it coming. Uh, They were the first pair of teammates in NBA history last night, not just in the finals, not just in the playoffs, in NBA history to have a 30-point triple-double in the same game uh, it really was a two-man show the entire night. They still didn't get a ton of help uh, from their reserves, aside from Christian Brown, a rookie off the bench. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. still hasn't really gotten it going. Contavious Caldwell-Pope hasn't really gotten it going. But it hasn't mattered because those two guys have been so special. And right now, it just doesn't look like he'd have an answer for either of them.
0: You mentioned Jokic and Murray. Uh, is, is it possible to determine which of those triple-doubles was more impressive? <laughs>
1: Um, I think, you know, there were different moments where it felt like each were equally impressive. I mean, there, Nikola Jokic, it felt like he just controlled the entire game. I mean, he had the first triple-double in NBA Finals history. Uh, it seemed like he was getting anything he wanted. There was the narrative after game two of, did the Heat turn him into a scorer? Well, last night it looked like they turned him into a scorer, a passer, a rebounder. That was some of the best defense I've ever seen Nikola Jokic play. He really commanded that game the entire night. But to me, what was so special about Jamal Murray is that in that first half, any time that the Heat started to gain some momentum, Caleb Martin had like eight straight points at one point to give the Heat a lead. And every single time, it was Murray who had a tough shot to answer and silence the crowd. So, you know, Jokic really commanded the pace the entire night, but it felt like any time the Nuggets needed a big shot, it was Jamal Murray who was stepping up.
0: So, was Michael Malone accurate when declaring that the Nuggets' effort or lack thereof was the biggest reason they lost game two?
1: Yeah, I think it had a, you know, it it did feel like at moments that it, it was more of a regular season game to them than it was an NBA Finals game. I don't know if they got complacent after game one, and we saw them surrender that big lead in the fourth quarter of game one, and that momentum kind of carried into game two for the Heat. But, you know, shooting variance is really. Uh, that's kind of what the Heat have been riding the entire playoffs, And, you know, they had it going from three-point range in game two, and they just couldn't really find a rhythm because of the Nuggets defense last night. And I do think the Nuggets did a better job of staying locked in the entire night, aside from, you know, kind of a fake comeback at the end there by the Heat because they just never give up. But, you know, the Nuggets on defense, they had a lot of lapses in, the se- in, the, in game two in the second half, especially late in the fourth quarter. And that defense looked like they had tightened everything up and were laser-focused the entire night last night.
0: The Nuggets, plus 25 rebounding last night. How can the Heat try to overcome what seems to be a physical disadvantage at nearly every position?
1: Yeah, I mean, we knew that going into this, that Bam Adebayo is an incredible player. He's had an awesome series so far. He's doing everything he can down there uh, to, you know, kind of maintain Nikola Jokic on his own uh, because they just don't have much front court help other than that. So, you know, that rebounding disadvantage, I, I just don't see how they overcome that because, the Nuggets are a perfectly crafted team around Jokic. They have big athletic wings like Aaron Gordon, uh, you know, just ready to dive in and, and scoop in for rebounds. But you know, he just have to do a better job of getting everybody on the glass. We saw guys like Max Strus and you know guards like Gabe Benson, Caleb Martin, crashing the glass. Uh, you know, and even Kevin Love at times, uh, even though he fell out of the rotation a little bit last night, doing their best to you know kind of gang rebound and make sure they get bodies on Jokic in the paint. But I mean, really, I think it's all going to come down to three-point shooting if Miami is going to stay in this series. If they're not knocking down the free ball it's going to be really tough for them to win because, like you just said, they're, they're outmatched in every other position.
0: Okay, so the Nuggets have now won four consecutive road playoff games over a three-series stretch here. How have the Nuggets, who were basically, just at least to you know, win-loss-wise, average on the road this season, how they, how they turned into these uh, road warriors, so to speak?
1: I think the way that the Nuggets have done it is just that it's different guys that are stepping up every night, and, you know, that goes for both home and on the road, but particularly on the road. You know, last night, obviously, Jamal Murray was the one that helped out Nikola Jokic, but on other nights, it's been guys like Aaron Gordon that have stepped up. Guys like Bruce Brown have played, you know, above his pay grade. They've just gotten contributions from everybody across the board. I mentioned Christian Brown, who really brought the energy last night. and Jokic, after having a 30-20-10 triple-double, gave him the credit for why they won the game just bringing energy on defense, making the right plays, cutting at the right time, knocking down shots when he needs to. And that's what makes a team so special in, in being able to win on the road is that anybody can step up on any given night. And the Nuggets truly trust each other. They're a complete basketball team. Michael Malone can go to so many different guys in that rotation. and Everyone's ready to step up and play. And that's just how you play winning basketball on the road.
0: Kyle Irving of the Sporting News, Curling the Sports Zone. You mentioned Christian Brown. He's six seven. Um, He's seldom been used in some of these postseason games. He ended up with 15 last night. Why was he so successful last night?
1: I just think, uh, you know, I was huge on him going into the draft last year. Uh, coming out of Kansas, he just plays winning basketball. He won a national championship there last year. He won, a pair, uh, he won a pair of state championships in high school. He's just the type of player who is willing to morph into whatever you need him to be. If you need him to stand in a corner and knock down threes, he can do that. If you need him to just key in on the defensive end and come up with stops, they actually threw him on Jimmy Butler a little bit in the third and fourth quarter last night, which is you know obviously incredible for a rookie. Uh, I just think he has incredible instincts as a cutter. He always knows where to be on the floor. He's always moving without the ball. He's just the type of guy that he's in the right spot at the right time, and, and winning basketball plays happen when he's on the floor. And you know that's he, he should be a role model for a lot of the prospects that are currently looking to get drafted this year because he really is kind of the model of how you stick and stay in a rotation or just stay ready when you fall out of the rotation. I've been really impressed with his play in in this series and all playoffs.
0: The Heat, uh, their so-called role players were mostly ineffective uh, at home uh, where they've now lost three straight. What's happened to Miami at home? You know They were undefeated in the playoffs before that game four against Boston.
1: Yeah, I think what you're seeing now is, I don't know if it's just fatigue or maybe, you know, after three series, teams are finally starting to take these guys seriously. But, you know, Caleb Martin is someone that obviously absolutely killed the Celtics. I thought he actually should have been Eastern Conference Finals MVP over Jimmy Butler, even though I understand why Butler won the award. Uh, You know, the the reports have said that he has been dealing with a little bit of an illness. Maybe that's playing a role. But I also think the Nuggets have done a great job of making sure that he's one of the key points of their game plan and trying to shut him out. Uh, guys like Gabe Vincent have gotten it going, but at the same time, like he's not going to be able to do it on his own. As great as he's been all playoffs, and he's provided Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo with as much help as possible, the Nuggets have done a good job of keying in on him as well. And then, you know, someone like Max Drew, someone like Duncan Robinson, those are two guys who, all season and really, I mean, their whole careers, they've been very hit or miss players, and they've had games like Duncan Robinson did in Game Two, where he really got hot down the stretch. But you can't rely on that night in and night out. And I think that's where, you know, whether it's home or away, the inconsistency is where you don't know where their role players are going to show up. They did in every game of the Eastern Conference Finals. But we're starting to see, you know, just kind of that inconsistency here. And the Heat don't have much margin for error. So, you know, if those guys aren't going to step up on any given night, that's where they get in trouble.
0: Okay, so looking ahead to Game 4, we, I think we all admire Eric Spolster. What, what should he try to do differently strategically?
1: I actually do think that he should kind of go back to what they did in Game 2 where they, they weren't doubling on Jokic as much in the post. They were making sure that they stayed tight and stayed home on three-point shooters. Uh, I think he should use Jimmy Butler a little bit more on uh, Jamal Murray the same way that he did in Game 2 because I think they got away from that a little bit last night to try and stop Jokic. I, I mean, Jokic is going to get his no matter what. He's going to score. He's going to rack up assists. But limiting those other guys as much as possible is where they're going to win these games. Because they can't allow Jamal Murray to go for 30 points on a night where Jokic has 30, 20, and 10. And, you know, Eric Bolster, like you just said, he's one of the best coaches in the NBA, especially when it comes to game to game and series series adjustments. And I-, I definitely expect him to come back with a different game plan, throwing a- something a little different at Jokic to make him think and work a little bit harder. But, like I said, the margin for error is not very big, and their backs are against the wall right now. If they can't win tomorrow night, I think the series is all but over.
0: So, you know, they're already small. Should they go smaller with Caleb Martin starting again for Kevin Love?
1: It's tough to say because Caleb Martin hasn't really been playing well, but at this point I don't see why they wouldn't try something like that. Uh, Love, you know, he started last night, but he didn't play much in the second half at all. They went away from him. They've tried to use Cody Zeller. That's not really working. Uh, It's kind of a roster limitation, so I actually don't think it's a bad idea to switch it up and put Caleb Martin in the starting lineup. I mean, remember, they did the same thing against Boston in the conference finals. When they went up 3-0, they had done that with Kevin Love in the starting lineup. Once the Celtics won two in a row, they went back to Caleb Martin in the the starting lineup to go smaller and try and combat a bigger front court with the Celtics starting Al Horford and Robin Williams. So I really it wouldn't surprise me to see them try and go back to someone like Caleb Martin in the starting lineup. But also, I mean, Tyler Harrow is someone to monitor as well. It doesn't seem like he's going to be ready to play in the series, but if he could come back and give them anything at all, that would be a massive boost for the Heat.
0: So what's Michael Malone do to prevent the Nuggets from you know going back to that fat and happy attitude, so to speak, that they might have had before game two?
1: I think Michael Malone is one of the best competitors in the league as a coach. I mean, last night they showed that pregame speech uh, going into the game, and his big thing was we've been outscored, I think it was like by 91 points in the fourth quarter going into game three. And he kept saying to his team, we are going to win the fourth quarter tonight. That is what's yeah. most important to us. I don't care what the lead is, we're going to win the fourth quarter. And even though they gave up that lead late, they actually did still end up winning the fourth quarter by a point. So I think it's just kind of building little games within the game to keep his team engaged because at this stage, I think they realize, I mean, they're the ones on the floor. They have to realize that they have the advantage here. And as long as they stay locked in, they're going to win the championship. But it's staying. It's important to stay locked in because it doesn't matter if the Heat are down by 20 points. If we learn anything in, in these playoffs, it's that the Heat are just not going to give up. They will not roll over and die. So for me, I think it's, it's Michael Malone again, just kind of creating that game within the game to keep his keep his team engaged. And if they do, the championship is going to be there.
0: Only one day off now between last night and the game, uh, game four on Friday. Is that to anybody's advantage?
1: I mean, if anything, I would say it's to Denver's advantage just because, Again, Tyler Harrow. It seems like you know every game. There's a report that seems like he's going to get closer to returning. And I mean, I'm not saying he's someone that can completely flip this series around, but the Heat need offense. I mean, they've been they were held under 100 points last night. They've had trouble getting over 100 points. I mean, even when they won uh, in Game Two the other night. So you know, any sort of boost that he could give them on the offensive end. I mean, he was last year's Sixth Man of the Year. He was their second leading scorer this year. He's a 20 point per game guy. Even if he's a little out of shape, he at least adds a threat. But the fact that there's only one game in between, it obviously limits him tremendously trying to come back from that, uh, the two broken fingers on his shooting hand. So I would give the advantage to the Nuggets on only one night off.
0: Talking with Kyle Irving of the Sporting News. Um, I'm going to ask you about the Suns a little bit. Of course, the Suns lost to the Nuggets two rounds ago. Plenty going on out here, <laughs> uh, starting with <laughs> yes, Monty Williams, you know, fired, replaced by Frank Vogel. Um it was were those good moves by the organization in your opinion
1: i was honestly very surprised they parted ways with monty williams i mean you know i'm not in the locker room day to day so i don't know if the players had kind of tuned him out or if, you know they had felt like they had gotten as much as they can out of monty williams but i will say i did like the hiring of frank vogel i mean i thought he caught a raw deal with the lakers in the first place he won a championship there and then you know he was fired by fired by not meeting expectations for a roster that was not ready to meet the Expectations the organization set for him. I think he's one of the best defensive minded coaches in the league. Uh, the Suns already had a top 10 defense in the NBA last year, but I think he's the type of guy that can even try and get a little bit more out of someone like DeAndre Ayton. Um, you know, they're going to have to build that roster up because there's only, I think, seven or eight players under contract going into the offseason, pending what they end up deciding to do with Chris Paul. But, you know, I mean, he's the type of coach that he took those Pacers teams to the Eastern Conference Finals and had those LeBron James Miami Heat teams on the brink of elimination in those series i mean he took that lakers team to a championship in the bubble and i feel like he does have the experience to get the suns to the championship caliber roster that they're looking to get to
0: you mentioned ayton and paul uh obviously in the last 24 hours or probably before but definitely during the last 24 hours Mm -hmm. lots of stuff circulating regarding their futures let's start with ayton should the suns move on from him
1: I still like DeAndre Ayton, even though his efforts are inconsistent, and I, I, you know, I feel like he almost limits himself in that aspect because he should be a better defender than he is. He should be a more uh, dominant paint scorer than he is. Um, I still believe in him. I, I still think that there is, uh, you know, another level for him to tap into. I don't think we've seen the best of DeAndre Ayton, but if they feel like right now they could trade him to get pieces that are, you know, better to contribute around Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, that's the name of the game for the Suns right now. So. You know, if there's an offer on the table and someone's interested in Aiton and they feel like they could fill out that roster around D Book and KD to, you know, make them better in the immediate future, um, then I don't see why not. But at the same time, if they do decide to stay patient, I understand that as well because I really am adamant that we have not seen the best of DeAndre Aiton yet.
0: Chris Paul, how much has he got left in the tank, and should the Suns move on from him?
1: I I don't know how much Chris Paul has left in the tank. I mean, I still think he's a floor general that can help elevate a team to championship contender status, even though, you know, he's only been to the NBA Finals once and it was in Phoenix. Uh, That groin is obviously a lingering issue, and it seems like every year in the playoffs he can't find a way to stay healthy. So, you know, with the rumors yesterday, I do understand um, why they would consider waiving and stretching his contract, which would mean that he's not able to return to the Suns. But if they do decide to just waive him outright and they can cut that guaranteed number in half, down to 15 million, and then sign him to you know a veteran minimum if he's willing to do that to help give the team some salary flexibility and try and build out that roster this offseason, Then you know that would be an incredibly selfless move. And if I was the Suns, I would welcome him back with open arms because he's still a great leader. Um, but you know, if they do decide to just outright trade him, I'd understand that as well because you know, as you and I both saw this year, Chris Paul is not the you know future Hall of Famer that we've seen in the past. Uh, he's definitely lost the step, but I do think the talent is still there to contribute in a smaller role.
0: If they move on for Aiton and Paul, uh, is there enough out there or remaining on the roster to build around Booker and Durant?
1: It's an interesting free agent class this year because, you know, there's not a ton of guys at the top of the free agency pool that are, you know, very intriguing. I mean, some of the best players available, we don't even know if they're going to return or not. Guys like James Harden, Kyrie Irving, uh, even like Kristaps Porzingis in, in Washington. It's not like those Suns would be able to afford those guys anyway. But there are still some role players that are out there that, you know, I'd be curious if they'd be willing to take a pay cut to come play with Booker and Kevin Durant, who, in my opinion, are two of, you know, the more likable, you know, that's competing championship when they're there. So whether it's, you know, guys like someone like Bruce Brown, who joined the Nuggets this year, I mean, he's going to have a player option this upcoming offseason. He's been obviously a, a phenomenal contributor for them. Um, if he were to become available and be willing to join that team, like that would be a great addition. There's other guys like Nas Reed, someone that you know could play in the front court, but also stretch of the floor. He's obviously not very happy in Minnesota playing behind Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. He's another type of player that could contribute to Phoenix. So there are role players out there. It's just they're going to have to have guys that are willing to sacrifice salary a little bit because they don't have a ton of uh, flexibility there.
0: Funny you mentioned Brown. That's exactly who I was thinking of when you were talking about that. And he does have, you know, know, history of Durant too. And uh, the, uh, you know, Nas Reed, he had uh, some good moments against the Suns this past year. Unfortunately he had a bad moment because he got hurt against the Suns too, but those would be interesting additions. So I'd be curious to see uh, if they could pull that off and how they might fit in. Kyle, I really appreciate the time. This has been great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Anytime. Have a good day. Anytime. That's uh, the motto that many have been kind of kind. If somebody said that to me in the past, some have thought that's a good idea long-term, some maybe not so good long-term, but I'm sort of kidding. I appreciate Kyle's time. Good stuff from him with, uh, as always, and uh, not surprisingly.